Hey, if, uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just got to give a shout out to, uh, I call him Big Daddy Brogan, uh, Eric Brogan, who was just up here. I think we need to just adopt that as a church, Big Daddy Brogan, okay? Uh, <clears throat> love that man. You know, he made a comment about us eating lunch at Crunchies. See, some of y'all go to Crunch Fitness to work out. Others of us go to Crunchies to work out. And uh, that's what me and Eric, Big Daddy Brogan do. So uh, if you've got a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're getting to a, a, a new chapter in our study through Romans today. And uh, the, <clears throat> the past two weeks, we've taken down two whole chapters. This week, we're taking down five whole verses. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Uh, as you turn there, I, I got a question. Anybody in here ever bought anything off of an infomercial before? This is where you're going to have to be honest because I know you're going to be like ashamed. Okay, a hand went up really, really quick. What'd you buy? What'd you buy? You bought plates off of an infomercial. What was it about the plates on the infomercial that you were like, I just got to call the number and have that? They were Christmas plates. They were Christmas plates. All right. <laughs> See, those are the kind of purchases that if, if my wife makes them like, babe, why did, could we have talked about it first? I mean, do we need Christmas plates? But no, good. You like them? Good. Infomercials. Uh, how many of you in here now, uh, college students, I don't know if this will resonate. Uh, it might just go straight over the back to the um, people in the back, but... Uh, Anybody here ever buy a Snuggie? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's infomercial stuff right there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, here's, here's, here's one where you're really going to have to be honest, and I'm telling you, I know at least somebody in this room surely had, uh, did this. D- did anybody in here ever buy a Bowflex? We got a Bowflex winner over here. Let's go. How many of you remember Bowflex? I mean, that was like, I, the number of times I saw that infomercial pop up. Bowflex, you remember who the, the spokesman for Bowflex was? Uh, one of the greatest human beings of all time. Do you remember? Chuck Norris, come on. Chuck Norris, I mean, okay, well, anyways. It's like Jesus and then Chuck Norris, you know? Like. So, uh, there's one time in my life I've bought something off of an infomercial. It was in college. And it was actually me and my, my three college roommates. It was late one night. We'd been watching a, a game. I don't remember what game we were watching. Uh, and, and just to remind you context, I went to school in Arkansas. And so we're watching a game. And it was late. And we just left the TV on. We're hanging out in our dorm room. And I guess this infomercial comes on. And it was really just kind of noise in the background. We weren't really paying attention to it. But to set the scene, it was these two, I mean, just imagine the most backwoods, Arkansas, redneck guys filming this in their garage. You could tell they were the ones who were like filming this and didn't really understand what they were doing. It looked very home produced. But they're doing this infomercial out of their garage, uh, probably honestly like down the road from where we were at that time. I mean, that's kind of what it looked like, okay? So backwoods, Ar- Arkansas dudes, one of the guys' names was probably Bubba or something like that. And they're selling knives, Okay. And, uh, you know, again, it's just kind of background noise, but there was one moment where you, you could hear them say, okay, we got this crazy deal tonight. Uh, we got this box of 100 pocket knives that we're going to sell tonight only for $150. And, uh, I mean, we're like, prior to this, me and my three roommates, we're just like, I don't know what we were doing. We're hanging probably like debating sports or whatever. And all of a sudden, we all just kind of like turn our attention to the TV. Okay, you have our attention now. 100 pocket knives, $150. And they start pulling out these pocket knives out of this box. I mean, they're, they're pretty cheap pocket knives, to be honest with you, but... I mean, you could see we're already doing the, the, the business side of it in our head. A hundred pocket knives, 150 bucks. I mean, we're in Arkansas. We can totally resell these for like at least three bucks, make our money back. I mean, this is a good deal. 
Like, we should totally get these pocket knives. And, and so, you know, they're talking about these pocket knives, trying to sell these pocket knives. And they get to the end, and they're like, okay, 100 pocket knives, $150. Uh, but wait, there's more. And uh, Bubba or whoever, he goes and he goes, if you call in the next 30 minutes, I will throw in this brand new set of kitchen knives for free. Now, we're in a dorm room. We're like, we don't need kitchen knives. But you do have our attention here. Uh, we're leaning in even more. And so they're talking about these kitchen knives now. And then uh, this other guy, he says, listen, uh, I really want to sell these knives to you. And I'm feeling generous tonight. So if you call in the next 10 minutes, not only will you get 100 pocket knives for $150 and this brand new set of kitchen knives, but hold on, you'll also get this. And he goes off screen, he comes back, and his friend Bubba's like, no. And you can see him come on screen, and he's like, I will give you for free this brand new samurai sword. And uh, my buddy Brian, he gets up and he's like, hey, what's the number? We're calling the number. We're calling the number. <laughs> and so we call, we, we purchase the knives. Uh, we get the 100 pocket knives. Uh, we get the brand new kitchen set knives. And we definitely got the samurai sword. Never know when you'll need a samurai sword. We spent the next two months selling those pocket knives out of the back of my trunk. Sold them all, made our money back, and had a samurai sword. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, you know... Of all the things you could clap at, <laughs> I'm not sure that's the one. Okay, but infomercials. When I think about infomercials, I think about that guy who would always say, but wait, there's more. You've seen one of those, right? Happens on all of them. Well, I bring that up because I feel like in the best way possible, this is what we're seeing in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter five, it's like one of these infomercials where this guy is selling a product and he keeps saying, but wait, there's more. And so Romans chapter five, starting in verse one, I wanna read this to you and I wanna show you what I mean. So Romans chapter five, verse one, if you got it, let me hear you say, I got it. So verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, which we've come a long way here, we've been in this since September, really since, uh, since August, remember Romans chapter zero? We've come a long way. Uh, so there's a lot packed into that statement. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So he starts out, he says, therefore, since we have been justified. Now here's the reality. Uh, pronouns are important. We, like this, this is written 2,000 years ago. He's talking to the Roman Christians, the Roman Christians, okay? We can take it into our world today and, and understand this is true for us as well, but that word is not since there, it's if. If you have been justified. So that's the looming question over the sermon for you is if you've been justified, not necessarily since you have because not all of you in here have yet been justified. Those of you who have been justified, read it, read it just as it is, since you've been justified. Those of you who aren't sure, it's if you've been justified. So he says, therefore, since we've been justified, now recapping where we've been, chapter one, verse 18 through chapter three, verse 20, what we're seeing there is the need for justification. Like we kind of, we're entering the third big part of this letter. 
So chapters one through the first half of chapters three is the need for justification. What we saw in those two chapters, or those three, two and a half chapters is, is that you can be lost in your unrighteousness, you can be just as lost in your self-righteousness. Either way, you're lost and under the wrath of God. All of us are under the wrath of God because of our sin. Self-righteousness uh, is just unrighteousness undercover. You can't see your sin or you don't want others to see your sin. Uh, but just because you're blind to your sin doesn't mean you don't still have sin. So we all need to be justified, the need for justification. So then you get to Romans chapter three, verse 21, all the way through the end of chapter four, which we finished last week, and we see the way of justification. We're justified by faith, not by works. So now we get to chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, or therefore, if you have been justified by faith, now we get into the effects of justification, the effects of, just, of, of justification. So therefore, since we've been justified, because we've been justified, in other words, now we can see what we get as a result of justification. By the way, spoiler, again, it's going to feel like this infomercial. And it's almost like Paul saying, get justified today and you'll have eternal life. But wait, there's more. And we're about to see what that more is. But before we go there, I need to point something out to you that's really important to see. So when you're studying the Bible, it's so important to pay attention to the verbs. You got to pay attention to the verbs. When you see a verb in the Bible, you got to ask a couple of questions. One, you need to ask who is doing or who is receiving the action. And, and two, you got to ask when did the action happen or when is it happening? Is it past? Is it present? Is it future? In other words, what's the tense of the verb? I can't stress enough how important this is because entire theologies are built off of correctly or incorrectly answering those questions about verbs. And both of these questions come into play here uh, in chapter five, in these five verses, starting with this opening line, therefore, since we have been justified. So let's ask those questions. First question is, who is doing the action or who is receiving the action? He says, we have been justified. Who's Who's doing, who's receiving the action? Let's start with who's receiving the action. Or actually, what, what tense verb is this in, in the sense of who's doing and who's receiving the action? This is, this is called a, uh, I'd realize I just, probably just muddied the water there. Okay, I talked too much there. So uh, simplify it. This is called a passive tense verb. A passive tense verb. Now, I'm just gonna put everybody at ease in this room, okay? You don't have to be a grammarian to, to read and understand your Bible and get what, what it from you need, okay? Uh, I, I got my education in Arkansas, all right? So you hardly have to be able to read good to understand the Bible, okay? Uh, somehow I was able to clep out of the grammar class that I had in college. I don't know why, uh, because I hadn't passed anything prior that would cause me to do that. I think they made a mistake, and I was going to let them make the mistake, and I did let them make the mistake. So didn't take that class. Grammar. But for those of you who are grammarians, and by the way, grammar, though it's not... You don't have to be an expert. It is helpful in understanding the Bible. So those of you who are grammarians, all right, what is a passive tense verb? What does that mean for a verb to be passive tense? You know what it means? It means the subject uh, of the sentence, which in this case is we. It means the subject of the sentence is not the one performing the action. It's the one receiving the action. So we are the ones receiving the action of justification, which leads to, by the way, uh, another question, because in this case, it's not stated explicitly, who's doing the action? Who's doing the justifying? Yeah, we've seen this answer the past couple of weeks as we, studied, as we studied Romans chapter three and four. The answer is God is the one doing the action. Now, why am I taking the time to point this out? I'm pointing this out because this might be the most critical biblical doctrine and yet the most missed at the same time. God did it. 
not you. God does it, not us. And we've been hammering this home the past uh, two weeks in Romans. Let me be honest, we hammer this home every single week in here. Every week in here. Especially the past two weeks in Romans 3 through 4. Paul does it again here just in this opening line. We're not justified by anything we've done. We're justified by what he's done. We're not justified uh, by our works. We're justified by faith in his work. Now why do we see this truth so clearly in the Bible and yet still so often get it wrong? Here's why. It's because it goes against all human logic. We say, you wronged me, you fix it. That makes perfect sense. You wronged me, you fix it. But God says, you wronged me, I'll fix it. That makes good news. And you add anything to that, you've no longer got the good news of the gospel and you're no longer holding on to biblical truth. But we need to ask another important question about this verb. Not only is, 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 do we need to ask the question, who's doing or who's performing the action? We need to ask, when did it happen? Like, when is the action of the verb happening, past, present, or future? He says, we have been justified. What do you think? When, when's, when's the action of this verb happening? Past, present, or future? How many of you are unconfident? Past, present, or future? Uh, the, the, in Greek, this is an aorist tense verb, which is just, in this case, a fancy way of saying it is a past tense action that took place. The work has been done and there's no more work to do. Now there's a couple lies of the enemy that he's just constantly feeding us. One is like, you can fix it. You can fix it. The other lie is, and by the way, there's still more to do. Those are two big lies of the enemy, but the truth is this, you can't fix it and there's no more to do. What God sent Jesus to do on the cross, it's the only thing that works and by the way, it worked. It's done. That's the good news. Infomercial time. But wait, there's more. That's not all the good news. So let's keep going. Verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So I want you to underline three statements. If you're like, got a pen out, drawn in your Bible, uh, which I strongly encourage, uh, I, I want you to underline these three statements. In verse one, it says, we have peace. Verse two, it says, we have also obtained access. Underline that. And then verse three, it says, and we rejoice. So we have peace, we have also obtained access, and we rejoice. So again, pay attention to the verbs here. What tense are all of these verbs in? It's a little bit of a trick question, but what tense are all these verbs in? Past, present, future. Oh, we got some different answers going on here. So, so we have peace and we rejoice. Those are all present tense verbs. Those are both present tense verbs. We have also obtained access. That is actually called a perfect tense verb. The, the perfect tense in Greek describes an action that was completed in the past but has a continuing effect in the present. So even though it's a, a past tense action, the emphasis is on the present moment impact. So, so here's my point. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, it's not just about the past, it's about the present. And even more so, what I want to point out in this moment is what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it's not just about our future, it's about right now. Like when we think about salvation... When we think about justification and the effect it has on our life, we often only think about part of it, our future hope in heaven. 
You know, eternity spent with God, like what happens when I die? But the reality is our justification not only impacts our future, but it, in, it impacts our present. In fact, it changes everything about this present moment. So what do we get to experience right now as a result of what Jesus did on the cross? I'll distill it down to three words for you. Number one, peace. Number two, access. And number three, joy. In fact, I've got those circled in my Bible. So underline and circled. I've, I've got peace circled, access circle, and rejoice circled. Again, it's like Paul saying, you know, infomercial style, get justified today. You'll have eternal life. But wait, there's more. You can have peace and access. And if you call right now, I'll throw in this samurai sword. I'll throw in some joy to go with it. So let's look at these three things. Number one, peace. Verse one, he says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see that we get right now is peace. I've not seen this movie yet. Uh, maybe you have, but the movie Oppenheimer. Anybody seen the movie Oppenheimer? Uh, is it a good movie? Ish, sort of. Okay, well, uh, I've read some of the story though. So Dr. Robert Oppenheimer uh, okay, something just happened in the room there. What's, what's up with the movie? Inappropriate. Inappropriate, okay. All right, got it, got it, got it. Good to know for second service. Uh, go see the movie Oppenheimer. No, it's inappropriate. Um, so Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, he's the one who supervised the creation of the atomic bomb. And uh, at one point, after creating this atomic bomb, uh, he was pulled in front of a congressional committee who asked him the question. I don't know if this is in the movie or not, but he asked him, they, they asked him the question, is there any defense against this weapon? And his answer was, and it caught everybody off guard, he says, certainly there is. And it kind of hushed the committee in the crowd. And they said, well, then what is it? And in one word, he said simply, peace. Peace. The point he was making is there's nothing that can stop the destruction of an atomic bomb except peace. And similarly, there's nothing that can stop the coming wrath of God against all of us who have sinned except what? Are y'all listening? I set you up for that one. Except what? Peace. Uh, I'm going to introduce a new seminary word to you. So the past couple of weeks, we've thrown some like big, fancy seminary words to you. We just want you to sound like smart people. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. No, it, you are smart people. I, I just want you to understand, if you ever hear these words, this is what they mean. So some of the seminary, seminary words we've taught you the past couple of weeks are justification, sanctification, redemption, propitiation. Um, they all end with T-I-O-N, um, right? Justification, sanctification. Yep, okay. Uh, this next one doesn't, actually, now that I think of it. But uh, if, if you weren't here where we taught on those words, uh, that was our Romans 3 uh, sermon, so two weeks ago. Go back and listen to it. The word I want to introduce you today is the word reconciliation. No, it does end with T-I-O-N. There you go. <laughs> Arkansas, baby. <clears throat> I'm teaching my, my, my five-year-old how to read right now, and it's actually helping me a lot, too. So uh, Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Listen, this is what this passage is about. Reconciliation. Listen, because of our sin, we have a broken relationship with God. We are at odds with him. And actually, more accurately, this is going to be hard for some of you to swallow, but we are at war with him. But through Christ, through Christ, we are reconciled. In other words, our broken relationship is fixed 
And where there was incoming wrath, now there's peace. There's peace. That's reconciliation. Uh, this past weekend, I was preaching in Columbus, Ohio, that horrible town. Uh, and uh, actually, going back to the summer, or whenever, I think it was early fall, when NBC picked the, the Michigan State, Ohio State game to be on like 7.30 primetime television, I immediately texted Luke Peterson. He's the pastor of the Capitol Church down there. It's one of our network churches. I was like, bro, uh, I'm coming to this game, and you're coming with me. Uh, so here we go. We're doing it. He said, you want to preach Sunday? I'm like, absolutely. I was hoping you'd ask. Uh, and so... Uh, we went to the game Saturday night, which uh, Ohio Stadium, the, the horseshoe, it's kind of always been one of, my, uh, one of my bucket list sporting venues to go see a game. Uh, and uh, I'm, you know, it's really cold that night. I'm, I'm actually glad it was really cold because it helped numb the pain of, uh, you know, the loss. But anyways, uh, yeah, went to the game. Sunday morning, I go preach at the Capitol Church. And it was so cool. After the service, this guy comes up to me. Uh, who had lived here for a summer two years ago. Uh, he came up here to do some sort of like summer research project. And he, he comes and grabs me and he says, dude, I don't know if you remember me, uh, which I kind of did. And, and he says, I was at the commons for, for a summer two years ago and I wasn't a believer, but I'm a believer now. And I was like, no way, how did that happen? And he goes, well, that summer I was at the commons, like I think God was starting to like stir in my heart and do stuff in my heart. But then I moved to Columbus and uh, saw how terrible this place is and God opened my eyes. No, that's not what he said. Um, but he said, uh, he said, I was, I was attending salt company. They have a salt company just like us and, and their salt director, his name's Harrison Getzko, was teaching on the coming wrath of God. He used the words eternal damnation. And he said, this guy, he says, I realized in that moment, I was not at peace with God. And I was like wasting my life, risking my life going forward not having peace with God, and that's when I put my faith in Christ. It's like, oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And here's the reality. The gospel brings us peace. Now, do you know what that means for you? Here's what it means. You are either at peace with God or you are at war with God. Which is it for you? I mean, the only way to be at peace with God is through faith in Jesus, to be justified by faith in Christ. Now, think of some other implications of this. Like, the world is at war. The world is at war. Like, war abroad, but it's more than just that. Like, our culture is at war. I mean, there's war in our homes. There's not much peace anywhere. And I don't know how you feel about that, but it's troubling. I mean, if all we were to do is lock ourselves in a room and, like, and like read the news, what's happening overseas? Read the news, what's happening here in our country, in our cities, uh, uh, and then just like reflect on all of our family stuff and, and, and like brokenness, oh, we'd be such depressed people. But the reality is, if we have peace with God, does anything else really matter that much? Like if we have peace with God, we have all we need. We have all we need. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, but let's keep going. So now we get to access. So read verse two. Verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So access. Uh, who, who's the most famous person you've ever met? Like, like maybe think about it for a second. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Now tell the person next to you. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Who do you, who do you got? <laughs> Somebody up here just said Austin Wadlow. Okay, okay. 
Uh, all right, so somebody tell me, who's the most famous person you've ever met? Draymond Green. Let's go. That's a famous person right there. Who'd you got? I met Barry Sanders. You met Barry Sanders? Let's go. One of the greatest running backs of all time. Uh, somebody else. Somebody from the back. Somebody back. Most famous. Uh, sh- Somebody from the back, most famous person you ever met. I see a hand up. Hey, Coach Izzo, is there, is there a better person to meet other than Jesus? Like, and Chuck Norris. Uh, man, I love it. Okay, so, so think about the person that you met. How did you get the chance to meet? In, in fact, Tom Izzo, back there in the back. Uh, you just disappeared behind that person's head. Uh, there you are. How did you meet Coach Izzo? What did he say? You were at a football game? Uh, just like happened to pass him or what? Did... Oh, oh, okay, hold up. <laughs> so you were on the sidelines? Were you suited up? Are you a football player? Oh, no? Okay, so why were you on the sidelines? Oh, my gosh. What's his, what's his name and phone number? Can I... <laughs> So this is perfect, actually. Thank, okay, thank you for that. Because here's the reality. You think about the famous people that you've met and, and how you got to meet them. The reality is you probably had some sort of access pass, special permission, right? Some sort of inroad, some sort of connection. It's like getting an all-access pass to a, to a concert or a, sporting, or, or, or a sporting event. To be in the presence of somebody famous or somebody powerful and important, man, you've got to have an inroad. Like, you can't just sit there one day and think, I, I want to meet the president of the United States and then show up on the White House lawn. Like, that's how you get sniped, okay? Like, that's, that doesn't go well. No, you got to have special access. Now, okay, this is the question I really want to ask. This is the question I really want to ask. Have you ever been in the presence of someone famous or important and not even realized it? Like, I mean, you've had an opportunity to meet someone that you've always wanted to meet and talk to someone you've always wanted to talk to and you didn't even know it. This is not quite, I wouldn't even plan on sharing this, but Tom Izzo in the back. Uh, I was sitting in my, the, the front room of my house, big window, looking at our front yard, just like three years ago. And I'm sitting there reading and uh, I look out and did a double take. Coach Izzo was literally walking down uh, my sidewalk in front of my house. Now, I don't live in the same neighborhood as him. I was very, I definitely don't live in the same neighborhood as him. Uh, but I was like, oh my gosh, double take. And, and I ran upstairs. I was like, Leslie, Coach Izzo's right outside our house. And I, I regret that like forever, uh, not going to tell my wife, but like kind of because when I came back, he was gone. He just vanished. Um, actually, he was going to this event at the, we live close to an elementary school in East Lansing and, and he's going to this event there. And so I missed my opportunity, you know, to, talk to Coach Izzo, but have you ever been in the presence of somebody important and not even realize it? Like somebody you've always wanted to meet, talk to, someone you've always wanted to be around, you didn't even know it. Like think about how many times you've probably been in the airport and not even realize you've walked past somebody famous and important. Now I'm sharing this because I think this right here is the story for so many of us. Like do we realize what we have as people who are justified by faith? I mean, look again at verse two. Verse two says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith. I mean, Paul is saying that through Christ, we gain access to God's grace, which is more than just forgiveness of our sins. It is friendship with God himself. The gospel gives us access to God. Now think of the implications of that. And are you taking advantage, by the way? 
I mean, this is more than just gaining entrance into the kingdom of God. This is gaining entrance into the presence of God. I mean, if you are in Christ, you can now go to God continually with your request. You can go to him with your problems, your failures, and he hears you and he relates to you. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have access to God. But keep going, verse two, we see joy. Verse two, uh, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So joy, uh, Thursday morning, I, uh, I dropped Leslie off and my, uh, my, my baby, Lainey, uh, at the airport. Uh, they went to Texas. Uh, her, one of her sisters had their second baby. And so, and actually, I always do this. So if I'm not sure how sermon's going to go, I bring a picture of a baby and it makes the sermon better. So there's, there's Lainey. Uh, Leslie sent that to me and my heart just crushed, you know, like. So they're coming back today. I'm really excited uh, for a lot of reasons. One is I've been stuck at home with our three older kids all by myself. And the house is a disaster. The kids are alive, so it's a win in my book. Um, actually, the house isn't a disaster. Uh, but Thursday, uh, so I dropped off. We had, we had some sitters, uh, and I, I came in to work. And, and uh, Thursday, man, I was working so hard to get this sermon done uh, before I went home so that I wasn't, so I wasn't uh, carrying that weight into the weekend. Um, you know that feeling when you turn in a big project? or you turn in a big paper, or you turn in a big test, or at work, you know, you finally finish like this big thing you've been working on for a really long time. You know that feeling? You turn it in, what happens? What do you feel? Oh, the weight is just like lifted off your shoulders. You know, you got freedom. It, it's, it's joy. It's awesome. Like that's, that's what it feels like finishing writing a sermon. It's like writing a research paper. You get it done, boom, done. Oh. I mean, in a way, this is what we've gained in the gospel. The weight of our guilt, the weight of our shame, the weight of our sin, it's lifted up off our back and thrown on the cross. Like the weight of our feeling like we've still got to work to fix the messes that we've made, it's lifted off of our back and thrown on the cross. And as we look at what Jesus did on the cross and we see his like victorious resurrection from the dead, placing our faith in him, we walk away free of the weight and full of joy. Uh, you ever cheat on a test in school or cheated on an assignment in school? <laughs> a lot of hands went up here in the front. Uh, y'all are still in school, people. Come on. Uh, okay, so next time you cheat on a test, if, 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 you, if you get caught, um, this is a great line for you. You get caught, um, all you got to say is, hey, so just use it as a gospel opportunity. Say, so here's the deal. In the same way that someone just uh, did this work for me, uh, someone else has done the work for you. Can I tell you about Jesus? Um, you know, just take advantage, right? But you shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't cheat. But I want you to see this. So verse two, he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the word hope in English, it doesn't really fully capture what the Greek word it's translating means. So in English, to hope means to want something without certainty. But the Greek word that we translate as hope, it actually means conviction. It means conviction. One pastor, I like how he says, he says, Christian hope is not a hopeful wish. It is a hope-filled certainty. In other words, it's more than just the feeling of turning in that project or paper, knowing it's done, but it's getting it back and seeing that you've passed. Like it's the kind of hope-filled certainty that brings us joy. But I also want you to notice this. Paul, he spends uh, way more time talking about joy here than the other two, peace and access. You keep reading, look at verse 3, three through 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. In other words, this joy, the type of joy that we get from the gospel from being justified by faith, it's not rooted in circumstances, it's rooted in in hope. Which means it doesn't matter if we're in times of success or times of suffering, we still have joy. Now there's a lot I could say about these three verses, I, I kind of debated it would extend my sermon quite a bit, so I'm, I'm going to sum it up like this. Um, this makes me think of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which a couple of years ago we studied this, 1 Peter as a church. So it says this, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this picture that we get here is awesome. Uh, Peter, he compares our faith to gold. And gold, you got to understand this, it goes through a series of processes before it's in the form that you and I are, are most familiar with. And if you go back to how the ancient Egyptians found and purified gold, here's what you see. First, the gold had to be found. And typically it was found Uh, in a mine or digging it out of soil deposits, dirt. Second, after it was found, it had to have the dirt all washed away. So they'd wash it away and they would keep the dense gold particles that were left over. After the dirt had been washed away, then they would take it through this process where they would crush it into smaller pieces and and burn it, like heat it up a lot. In fact, it would would heat up so much and this was a long process. It, It took like five days. They put chemicals in this clay pot with the gold, it heated up, turn it into this liquid. And what this process did is it, it, would, it would actually cause the impurities in the gold to float to the surface, which led to the last part of the process where the goldsmith would come along and he would take this tool and scrape the impurities off the top of the gold. Uh, and he would keep doing this as the heat caused the impurities to float to the surface. He'd continue to scrape the, the impurities off the top of the gold, keep doing it. He knew he was finished and that the gold was pure when he could see his reflection in the gold. In the same way, in the same way that gold must first be found and removed from the dirt, we too must first be found by God. And listen, he pursues us right in the midst of our sin, right in the midst of our dirt, while we're still covered in dirt. And in the same way that the dirt had to be removed from the gold, and the blood of Jesus washes away our guilt cleanses us from our sin. And in the same way, the gold would then go through this process where it was crushed and then thrown into a fire to burn off all the impurities. We too are thrown into the fire. God uses suffering, fiery trials in our lives and and the struggle and the grief that come from them to sanctify us, to purify us by exposing the sin that still exists in our our lives. I don't, I don't, I mean, think about this. When we are being crushed, metaphorically speaking, all right, when we're being crushed or when we're, we've been thrown into a fiery trial, what does it do in your life? I'll tell you what it does in mine. It causes these sins that have been deeply pushed down in my heart to quickly rise to the surface. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, here's a great example. Last night, all right, just me and three kids, uh, three nights in a row, one of my kids who will rename, name, remain nameless kept waking up in the middle of the night. Last night, woke up around one and, and kept me up almost the whole night. 
And I don't know, if, you know, parents with, with kids, what that does to you, but I'll tell you what it does to me. No sleep and kids driving you know, me nuts in the middle of the night, it causes things in my heart, sin in my heart to very quickly float to the surface. And in the same way that then, uh, after the burning process called impure, caused impurities in the gold to float to the surface, in the same way the goldsmith would then skim the impurities off, man, when, the, when, 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 when those impurities float to the surface of our life, that now allows God to, to take them away, skim them off the surface, and continue to do so until his reflection is seen in us. Listen, the gospel gives us joy, and this joy comes from the hope-filled certainty we have of the future. I mean, think about, there's a lot of implications of this, but think about the implications of this. Christians should be the most joy-filled people on the planet, regardless of our circumstances. I mean, if we understand the hope we have of the glory of God, the hope that we have in the midst of suffering, joy will be present in our lives regardless of our circumstances, which leads to a question. If you are not a joy-filled person, but you've been justified by faith in Christ, what's hindering your hope? What's getting in the way? Listen, Paul tells us here in Romans 5, 1 through 5, that if we've been justified by faith in Christ, we're not just saved from something far off in the future. No, we get something much more than that. We get peace, access, and joy today. Let me just tell you why we're studying Romans. You know, in a way, and I'm sure you've sensed this, in a way, uh, Romans gets a little bit repetitive. Uh, but each time you're seeing this, it's like we study some, boom, and then next week we repeat, but then we go a little bit further. And then repeat, go a little bit further. Repeat, go a little bit further. Each time, yeah, it's, it's repetitive, uh, but then we dig deeper. And, and, and I want to say two things about that. One is, uh, the, the repetition doesn't bother me at all, and it shouldn't bother you either. In fact, Paul even says, in scripture, hey, I know I've already said this to you and I'm saying it again, I'm, I'm getting repetitive here, but that's on purpose, we need to because we're forgetful people. You read the Old Testament, there is so much precedence for repetition because in the Old Testament we see God's people were forgetful people. And when we forget what God has done, when we forget what God has said, we stop walking in faith. So repetition's good, but we also keep mining deeper and deeper every time. And that's because we want you to see how deep and how rich the gospel is. The richer our understanding of the gospel, the richer our lives as believers will be. Like the richer your personal experience will be, the richer your following God and mission will be. When you come to faith in Christ, it's not like you have to, 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 to now just deal with life and, and wait for the end to come, wait for some future promised benefits. No, what we see today is coming to faith in Jesus changes everything about your life Right now, right now, we get peace. We get peace. And if we got peace with God, what else do we need? We get access. Man, do we realize that we don't just have access into the kingdom, we have access into the presence of the living God. We're not just saved for the forgiveness of our sins, we're saved for friendship with God. We have joy. We have joy because of hope that is secure, not based on circumstances, but, but based on our Savior and what he's done for us huge implications for our life. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are so good to us. And we're reminded again today of your holiness and your righteousness and how far, far short of it we fall. As your word said in Romans 3.23, for we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of your righteous standard. But we praise you because in Christ, we can be justified. In Christ, we can be made righteous. We can be 
deemed righteous. And we know that if we've placed our faith in Christ, the verdict of righteousness has come down on our life. And what a great gift that is and what an undeserved gift that is. And we just want to praise you for that. In fact, we're going to sing here in a minute and just praise you for that. But we praise you not just for like being saved to eternity from our sins, but thank you that you have saved us into a um, reconciled, present tense relationship with you. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you for giving us access. Thank you for giving us joy no matter what we're going through. And I pray that we would be people who are marked by that. I pray that our lives would truly be rich in understanding of what you've done for us and accomplished for us, not just in the future, but today. And I pray that that would affect every area of our life. I pray that we would be the people who have the richest experience uh, of you as we better understand what you've accomplished for us. And I pray that the people around us would be uh, magnetically drawn in towards Jesus as we can't help but speak of what we've seen and what you've done as we experience you. And so we praise you and we want to praise you. We're going to sing to you now, praising you for sending your son so that we could be justified. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.